I'm very grateful for my family of origin, and I know many of you are, and some of you have had a difficult go of it, but to be honest, I had a great family growing up, and I'm so thankful. There's a little caveat to that, though, because my family wasn't overtly Christian. It wasn't that they were against God. It's just it wasn't, Jesus wasn't a topic in my home. And so growing up for us, I did not know until many, many years later what Easter was even about. But I did know it was about one thing, and that was getting all the eggs I could possibly get in my basket. And we used to go to my grandmother's house. My Well, we called her nanny. I had a nanny and papa and a granny and granddad. So we would go to nanny's house, which is my dad's mom, and we would have these massive Easter egg hunts. All the cousins would show up, my brother and I, and kids, and we would just have this huge group of kids. And we spent, you know, the whole day before dying eggs the old school way. And getting ready and getting excited. And there was just something exciting about getting these eggs. And not only did we have the diet eggs, but we had the little candy eggs that came in a little plastic wrapper. They were really horrible. But for some reason, the more you got, the more excited you were because it was about getting more. And I remember they would line us all up. We'd have dinner and then we'd go out in the backyard. And typically in West Texas, it was a beautiful spring day. And I remember the grass was already growing out there. And that, my grandmother, she had a garden out there that was huge. And, and we would go out there and we would start eyeballing and looking for eggs because we knew they were everywhere. And sure enough, even as we were getting ready and they were holding us back, we could spy eggs. We could see colors sticking out from behind leaves and bushes and up in trees and all over the patio furniture and in the grill. I mean, you could see them everywhere. And we would get so excited about being released so we could go grab and get all these eggs for ourselves. And I remember just year after year having these great memories. I do wish, looking back on it, that I had known the story 
not the story, the account. Sometimes when we use the word story, it almost sounds like a fairy tale or, or something from a cartoon, but I'm talking about the account of why Easter mattered. I'm not talking about the Easter bunny and, and all of that, and that's all good. That's a beautiful, wonderful celebration. In as much and so that it doesn't take away from the real meaning of Easter. And so today as we turn our attention to Easter, the thing I get excited about, about Easter, is that the focus, at least for a little while, for our entire world, at least for a little bit, is on Jesus. But not on his death, per se. That happened on Friday, right? But on his life. On his resurrection. We were talking before the service today and just, just sharing and encouraging one another. And someone was telling me about, they saw a pastor on TV actually talking about not celebrating Easter. Not celebrating the resurrection. And, and, and it was this, this weird theology. And I was like, what? What? You're going to tell me not to celebrate? Listen, if we don't celebrate, Jesus said, these rocks will cry out. And so I'm here to celebrate, and I'm here to share my heart with you. If you're joining us online, whether you're watching us live right now or you're watching a playback, I want you to know, we know you're out there. This is an empty room right now, but we know that you're there. And my prayer for you has been, Lord, even across, even through cyberspace, even across the airwaves, that the grace, your grace and your anointing and your heart would touch every person living are listening, and even as you're listening right there in your home, that you would be conscious of the presence of God. I've had several of you write in and say, even while y'all were worshiping and the word was being preached, I felt the presence of God right here in my home. Well, of course you did. It's because he's with you and he's in you. So celebrate that, enjoy it, and acknowledge it. Say, Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you for being here with me. As we turn our attention to Jesus today, the title of today's message is Rising Up and Shining Out. And I'll explain what that means in just a minute. And I want to talk about the impact of Easter in troubled times. Because let's just face it, that is where we are right now in very troubled times. But what is the impact, not of just the holiday of Easter, but the resurrection of Jesus on a day like today, on a season like we're in right now? Why does the resurrection matter? I shared this this morning. I do a daily post on my Facebook and Instagram. Just social. I've been doing this for years. Remember MySpace? I've been doing this since MySpace days. This has been a long time coming. I've got thousands of these. And this morning as I got up, this was on my mind. And, it, and I just wrote this out. Because it was never intended to contain life, a grave could never hold Jesus for more than a few days. You know, the fact that he busted out of that grave... The fact that he shed those grave clothes, it's because that grave, that tomb, was never meant to contain the living. Jesus being resurrected from the dead, busted out, and said, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm here. And you know what? I've been upgraded. Now, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit being released, Jesus wasn't relegated to one place at any given time. He could now be everywhere by his spirit. He could be in us right here, right now. And he could be across the world right now. Where they are with them fully present. 
So the resurrection was an upgrade. It was a whole new thing. As we celebrate that today, I want you to be joyful about that, even in the midst of troubled times. Let this inspire hope. Let this encourage you. So I want to share the resurrection account out of the book of Matthew. Listen to this out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. That was on Sunday, by the way. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Can you use your sanctified imagination for a minute and think about what that might have looked like? All right, get out of your head cartoon characters and Hollywood images of angels. Think in terms of a messenger, a being, a messenger from God showing up and the violence and intensity and strength used to roll that stone back sounded like and came off as like an earthquake. And then this angel, I get this picture of this angel is joyfully hopping up on the stone. Why joyfully? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was about to exit the other side of the tomb. He says he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Can you just picture that in your mind? This angelic being sitting on a stone right there in real time. Not in a movie, not on a screen, but in real time. In verse 3, it says this, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So this angelic being was radiating some kind of light, some kind of life, some kind of energy, a heavenly energy in life. And it says this, the guards, remember the guards had been stationed there to watch because the leaders, the rulers said, we've got to make sure that the disciples don't come in the night and steal his body away and create a deception that he somehow raised from the dead or he came back to life. So they were actually making sure that didn't happen. And those very guards, those warriors, those strong men, look what happens. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now listen, I don't know what your tradition is, your church tradition. I've had a wide array, and I am so grateful for the tapestry of God and the various pools and streams that I've been able to traffic in as a follower of Jesus all these years. But I'm telling you, there was a group of people I hung out with for a while, and we called that sucking rug. That means like you're so overwhelmed by the presence of God, almost the terror of the Lord, the fear of God, the awe, the reverential awe, that literally you completely pass out. And that's exactly what happened. They shook and they passed out. They fell to the ground like dead men. They were doing what we call carpet time back in the day. So here they are. Picture the scene. They see this angelic being roll this stone away, hop up on a rock, radiant with light, and they're so overwhelmed and so overcome they pass out. Verse 5. The angel said to the woman, see, the women came now. They were going to come along and see what's going on. The angel said to the women, who are the women? Mary and Mary. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Do not be afraid. Remember those words? You hear that word a lot out of angelic beings. Why? Because when an angel shows up, you're going to be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus He's not here. He is risen. 
Can you imagine the joy of the angel saying that? The thing that they've been waiting for ever since the fall, ever since the enemy, that deceiver, the serpent in the garden. These, these angels have been waiting for this day. Can you imagine how that angel felt getting to say this? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. The angel was able to say, this is that. This is what he was talking about. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the angel gives instructions on what to do. Go to Galilee. Why Galilee? Galilee was where they were from. Galilee is where Jesus was from, and that's where he did most of his teaching. He didn't go to Jerusalem that often. Of course, that's where everything went down. But they said, go back to Galilee. Go back to where you're from. He says, there you'll see him. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. You ever been in that place? You were scared but excited at the same time. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them on the way. Greetings, he said. They came to him, and look what they did. Clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now, this word worship here, we're not talking about standing there with their hands up. It means literally they were wrapped around him and they were bowed low before him. Bowed low in a posture of worship. Holding on to his feet, just excited to touch their Savior. Because he had risen just as he said he would. Now look what happens. A few verses forward. Look what happens. Now Jesus meets with his disciples. He shows up. Other gospel accounts give much more detail than this. But this is kind of the highlight version of it. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples. Wait. I thought there were 12. Well, remember? Remember Judas was outed at the Lord's Supper. We read about that in Matthew 25. And so now it's the 11. Then the 11 disciples, his inner circle. There were many more disciples, but these were his inner circle that walked with him. They went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And what did they do? They waited. They waited upon the Lord. They did exactly what he said to do. When they saw him, what did they do? They bowed down in worship. Isn't that interesting that that's the first the first instinct. It's the first, I've got to worship him. Which speaks to me about how can we, who are born again, who say we're followers of Jesus, not be passionate worshipers when it's always the first response. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Interesting. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything. And then look what he says. Therefore, go. He says, everything's been given to me, so now I'm going to confer it upon you. In what we call the apostolic mandate, the missional mandate, the missionary mandate, the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And by the way, just to break down the original language in that, what it literally says there, as you are going. Therefore, as you are going. In other words, wherever you go and as you are going, make disciples. Disciple the nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Baptize and teach to obey everything I have commanded you. That's why we have the gospel accounts. They took what they learned, what he had commanded them, what he had taught them, and put them into accounts from four different perspectives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All different perspectives. Different walks of life, even from different places, different personalities. And now we have what's called the harmony of the Gospels, the four Gospels. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he gives them this promise. For surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to back right back up to the very top of that verse. Therefore, go as you are going. Make disciples. The call of every follower of Christ is right here laid out for us. It's not like we don't know what to do. Now, there are details we want to know along the way. Lord, what do you want me to do here? Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I take this job or that? Or what? We, we want to know and need to know details as we go. But in the larger picture, in the, in the upper story, above the line, living, we already have the will of God revealed to us, and it is this right here. It is to, as we are going, as we are living, as we are walking out our life, where you live, where you work, and where you play, you are to be making disciples. You are to be discipling others, baptizing, teaching them to obey. And that is the call on our life. And it's so interesting because... For many years, I've had people come to me often or write me and say, I just want to know what God wants me to do. And I'm like, hey, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. It's right there. In fact, it's in red. It's there. It's the words of Jesus. He tells us what to do. And here's what's interesting. When we align ourselves with the will of God and we're actually doing what he's told us to do, it's amazing how many details in our lives begin to fall into place. How things begin to come clear when we do the first things, all the secondary, the second and third and fourth things begin to find order and clarity. In other words, we've got to get first things first. And that is, as a follower of Jesus, I'm to go everywhere. And where I go, I'm to leak out life, leak out light Leak out hope. Leak out the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to this out of John chapter 4. That Jesus is the life. This is what we're supposed to be taking out to everyone. Not a life, as Bill Loveless says, Uncle Bill. But not a life, but the life. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I am the way. And I highlighted that on purpose. I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a way, a truth, or a life, but the way, the truth, the life. He is our very life. And as we are going, we're to make disciples and we're to, to actually release that life onto and into others. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're watching today, maybe you've attended church your entire life. Maybe you were baptized as a baby or sprinkled as a baby or, or maybe you were, you, you've gone through a ritual or a ceremony. I want to be lovingly clear. I'm going to be kind and gentle with this. 
But you have to ask yourself, have I ever truly stepped over the line to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and to literally place Him at the place of Lordship in my life? Have I ever truly stepped over the line? Have I ever, can I remember a time when I went all in and said, I am yours. I am yours, Father, and you are mine. Jesus, I accept and receive the free gift of eternal life. What you did for me on the cross and subsequently through the resurrection, I receive that. The scripture tells us in Romans that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I know a lot of people who name the name of Christ, who've attended church their entire life, but they have never done this. They've never taken this step. Subsequently, we do that and follow it up with believer's baptism. That's why we call it believer's baptism. You're a believer before you're baptized. And I know there's a lot of traditions represented and people come from all kinds of churches and theologies and different bents. But at the end of the day, we want to align ourselves with the word of God and say, wait a minute. What's the right order of this? And I want to be in on this. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. To be reconciled to the Father is to come through Christ. If you really knew me, Jesus says in verse 7, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And in two verses later, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is the express image of the Father. You want to know how God acts? Let's look at how Jesus acts, and you will know how God acts. Let's see how Jesus treats people, how he responds to crisis, how he responds to betrayal, how he responds to everything that happens to him. That is the heart of the Father in the Son. Listen to this. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. There it is again. Not a life, he is the life. He is your life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Listen to this. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? This was Jesus talking to Mary and Martha just before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And look at that. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. When my mother passed away at a young age, she was 45 years of age. And I looked around when we were in the hospital room before she passed, and I looked around and I watched how people were responding to this. It was clear to us that she probably was not going to make it. And it's one thing to grieve, and it's one thing to hurt and to cry, and we should. Grief is a gift. But there is a difference in the way Someone who is convinced that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the Holy Spirit is real, that the kingdom is real, and that is the reality from which we operate. There's a difference in the way that person grieves, who lives life with a biblical lens, a biblical worldview, and those who are without Christ. And I watched. And I could almost tell you who knew Jesus and who didn't just how they, by how they responded to this crisis. 
And I realized as a very young man, I was in college at the time, that my mother was going to get to behold the face of Jesus. By the way, just before she died, she made a bold statement of her faith in Christ. Even though I didn't get to have that growing up, she made a statement and actually had a, an encounter with Jesus Christ in her hospital bed. It was a miraculous uh, appearance. Jesus appeared to her. To this day, I'm just, thank you, Lord, for your love for my mom. And I remember thinking, I am not like those who are without hope in this world. I have Jesus. My goal is heaven. So if she gets there before me, that should be celebrated. It should be a celebration of life. Because she got there and she's beholding and she experienced the ultimate healing. The way we handle crisis and navigate pain and trauma in our lives really does reveal the depth of our relationship with Jesus. Whoever lives and believes will never die. I realize that mom didn't just die. She passed over into another realm, but it was just her body that passed. She didn't. Her body did. And he asked, do you believe it? Listen to this in Romans 6. Do you know... Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. We just read about the resurrection. Just as he was raised from the dead by the glory, the presence of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To live life out of the resurrection. To know that everything in our life is a win. You woke up today, it's a win. You have a pulse, it's a win. You're breathing, you have breath in your lungs, it's a win. You hit the lottery today. If you're living and breathing right now, whether you feel like it or not, whether you think that way or not, the fact that you have life, you hit the lottery. You're living life from the place of resurrection. Those of us who follow Jesus, we celebrate this through baptism as a picture where we're lowered into the water. And I even learned and was taught, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what it means to live life out of the resurrection. It's understanding you can literally live above the fray. Above the line. You can live up in a down world. When everybody else is losing their mind over toilet paper. You don't panic. Because you realize God's got this. Oh, better still. God's got us. God has us. Listen to this. John 10.10. 10, Jesus echoes this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Then Jesus says it this way. I came that they may have life. The word is zoe in the Greek. It means the God kind and the God quality of life. That they may have life and have it abundantly to the full. And that word abundant means literally overflowing. It's though you're trying to fill up a bucket and it's full, but you just keep pouring it in, thinking I can get a little bit more in there. That's what Jesus is talking about. A life of overflow. That is living out of the resurrection. See, we don't live toward the cross. The cross was the instrument that got us 
to the resurrection. We're thankful for the cross, thankful for what Jesus suffered for us and on our behalf that he shed his blood. But that wasn't the end of the story. And every Hollywood movie that ever stops with the crucifixion fires me up. Because that is not the end of the story. In the words of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story is when Jesus came out of that grave. Guards laying on the ground, the two Marys standing there in shock and awe, and the angel sitting up there with a big grin on his face going, this is so awesome. Jesus said this, I came that they may have this life and have it to full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd family. Then our last response, our last verse is our response, and it's to receive the free gift. As we close today, I have to ask the question, have you received the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about ritual. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm not talking about religion. Today, Fox News, this morning, one of the news anchors was talking about the difference between a relationship with Jesus and her religion from her past. I'm like, what? What's happening here? The gospel being preached, spoken and taught on a major news outlet. Listen to this. For it is by grace you have been saved. Notice the past tense. Through faith. And here it is. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Another translation actually adds free. The free gift of God. It is the gift of God. Of course it's free. It's a gift. Not by works so that no one can boast. So as I land the plane, look at me. Have you ever gone all in? Have you ever stepped over the line? I didn't ask you if you've gone to church. I didn't ask you if you read the Version Bible. I didn't ask you if you have a whole library and playlist full of Hillsong and Jesus culture and elevation. I mean, I'm not asking you about those outward things. I'm asking you, can you go back to a moment in your life Maybe you were 5, maybe you were 10, 15. For me, it was 18. Where you stepped over the line and said, I'm all in and I literally, I'm receiving the gift of salvation. I'm not saying, do you have a perfect attendance pen? Or that you're on a church roll somewhere. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby you could say, I am born again. I am born of the Spirit. I'm born from above. And because of that, I look out on my circumstances and I choose to have no fear. I choose joy in the midst of the storm because I'm living out of the resurrection. Not toward the cross, not hoping it works, but knowing it worked. Knowing that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. And that it's finished for me too. The stone being rolled away was Jesus' freedom, but you're in Christ. It is your freedom too. The resurrection is your resurrection as well. So if you're listening, you're watching, you're in your living room, you've got friends, you've got family around you, it doesn't matter. I'm going to invite you to do something. In fact, all of you right now watching, 
right where you are, if we all do it, nobody feels weird, I want you to bow your head and close your eye. Even if you're in your living room, I don't care where you are, in your car, on your phone, whatever, I want you to bow your head right now. I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer. This is for those of you that have never truly stepped over the line. And you can't go back and say, this is my birth again day. My born again day, my birthday. This is for you. And I invite you to pray with me this simple prayer, but make it yours. From your heart, not just my words, but your heart. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering for me on the cross. Thank you for being willing to take my sin upon you. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you that the stone was rolled away for me. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for introducing me to God the Father. By faith, I receive the free gift of God to be born again, to be saved, to be born from the inside out. I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. I am yours. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. And I choose to do whatever you ask me to do, that I may bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you stepped over the line, I want to ask you to do something. It will help us, and it will help us help you. Write in, let us know. Info at bridgefbg.com. Just write in, info at bridgefbg.com. Write in and let us know that you took that step and that you asked Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior, that you gave your heart to Him. And I don't care if you've been on a church roll your whole life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 15, if you're 30, if you're 70. If you prayed that prayer and you know that this is your birth again day, then let us know that so we can pray with you and encourage you. We love you. Have an amazing day. Enjoy what's left of this day. I know it's different this year, but you know what? We're living above the line. We live above the fray. We're over our circumstances, not under them. And this too shall surely pass, I believe, sooner than later. Have a beautiful resurrection day, and God bless you. Thank you.